You must determine where you are going in your life because you cannot get there unless you move in that direction. Random wandering will not move you forward. It will instead disappoint and frustrate you and make you anxious and unhappy and hard to get along with and then resentful and then vengeful and then worse. This quote is not in your Bible. This quote isn't even given by a man who claims to be a Christian. This quote is from a man by the name of Jordan Peterson. He's a famous, popular guy. Uh, he's a Canadian psychologist. And I quote him this morning because Jordan Peterson doesn't even know how true this quote really is. Like, it's more true than he, he even can understand at this moment. Like, the best direction that we can have in our life is to follow Jesus. And it's not just going to happen by sitting back or, or wandering around, trying this, trying that, just kind of dabbling in all these different kinds of things. Like, it's, our faith takes intentionality of, of action. We got to put our faith into action. The word has to speak to our life, apply it to our life, and we live it out. And this is an example of what the Apostle Paul does when he's in Athens talking to the people on Mars Hill is he pulls out something from their culture, something that isn't biblical, something that isn't Christian, and he uses it as a bridge to help explain who the true God really is. Because Paul believes that God is seeking the people that he's talking to. And he believes, Paul believes, that God created this world in such a way that it was designed for people all over the world to seek after God. And so today we're going to be in the middle of Paul's message to the people of Athens while he's standing on Mars Hill. And we're going to be at Acts chapter 17, specifically verses 27, 28, and 29. And this is in the middle of Paul's message. We jump right in the middle, and so far... Paul has walked around the city, he's, he's met with people, and he's been deeply troubled by what he saw. He saw so many idols all over the place, and now he gets an opportunity to speak, and he uses one of their altars to the unknown God, and he says, let me tell you about this God. And he goes on to explain about the true God, how he's the creator, how he's powerful, how he's above everything, but yet this big God cares about them and cares about their town and even set the boundaries and the limits of this great city of Athens. And so now Paul says, God did all of that for this purpose, for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Like all of that, all of what God created, all of what God designed, it was with this intention that the people, that all people in all nations would seek after God. Look after him, find him. This is what's called general revelation. Like God has revealed generally to all people everywhere some things, mainly his creation. No matter where you are in the world, you can look up at the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars and see what God has made. And God designed that in such a way that it would make people respond to the revelation or the revealing of God of what they've been given, that people would respond 
to the light that they've been given. And we can read a little bit more about this general revelation in uh, a couple different places. But one of the major places in, is in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. And I just want to read these verses for you. It says this, They know the truths about God because he has made it obvious to them. So they, everyone, the people that Paul is talking to, they know the truths about God because he has made it obvious to them. How? For ever since the world was created, okay, people have seen what? The earth and the sky. They've seen all of this. They've seen the complexity of the human body. They've, they've seen what God has made. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. Okay, what can you learn? What can you see from general revelation? You can see his eternal power and his divine nature. You can see that what God created is vast. It's huge. It's bigger than we can imagine. It's galaxies and universes. It's and down, down to the complexity of a single cell and DNA. It's, it's amazing what God has made, and it takes great power to create those things. And he's creating things that are ancient and just, you know, lengths of, of time. It's eternal power and his divine nature. Like, it doesn't take a human being cannot create that. A human being cannot make this. This is a nature that is divine. And so they, everyone who's seen these things, have no excuse for not knowing God. And yes, they knew. The, the Athenians, everyone, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. They began to build altars out of wood and stone and, and craft these temples and said, this is what God is like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. The Athenians had all of these temples, all of these statues. They had all of these Greek and Roman gods, you know, to Zeus and, and everyone in the, all the, you know, pantheon and all this stuff. They had all of this stuff. Their minds became dark and confused, and they claimed to be wise. They loved to talk about the latest ideas, the latest philosophies. They thought they were very wise, but instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So instead of worshiping the creator, big, powerful God, they, they worship these things that human beings made. And so if this was designed, if creation was designed for people to seek after God, it seems like that didn't work out so well, right? Because if man all over the place was designed to respond to God's revelation to them, and they ended up worshiping a rock, that seems like a failure, doesn't it? But Paul goes on to say in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, uh, it, like sort of th that's right. He says this. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. No one is seeking God, which is just the exact opposite of what Paul just finished saying in Acts chapter 17, that this was designed for people to seek God. But here he says that no one is really seeking God. So what's going on here? There has to be a way for people to seek 
God. And maybe it's this idea that we can find in John chapter 1, verse 46, where Jesus is calling his first disciples. And he's wandering around, and he sees this guy named Philip, and he said, Philip, come and follow me. And Philip's like, okay, I'm going to come and follow you. And then Philip said, I have to introduce you to my brother, Nathaniel. I found the Messiah, and I want you to come with me. And Nathaniel's like, no, I can't do that. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. There's no way. And what is Philip's word to Nathaniel? Two wor- or three words. Come and see. Come and see. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you don't have all the answers. Just come and see. Just, just come and see. Come and see. Come and seek after this God. Come and see what's happening. And that's the invitation that God gives us to seek after him. And perhaps, perhaps feel their way toward him. Like this is an idea of like you got your seek with your eyes and you got your feel with your touch. It's like you ever been in that dark room looking for the, the uh, light switch? You know, you, got your, you can't see anything and you're feeling along the wall hoping to find it and then you find it and you flip it on and oh, there it is, right? You're feeling your way towards him and if we seek after him and if we, uh, if we feel after him, we can find him. And so Paul is telling this to the people on Mars Hill, and he's like, I know this seems like impossible, because here we are surrounded by idols, surrounded by temples, and yet you are, I'm saying that this is possible. It doesn't really look like it. But Paul encourages them and says it is possible because God is not far from any one of us. Like, yes, I know, I'm standing next to the statue of Zeus, and there's a temple over here, and, but God is not far from any one of us. And I want you to feel that and believe that this morning, that God is not far from you. God is not far from your situation. God is not far from your pain. God is not far from your depression. God is not far from your questions. God is not far from what you are dealing with. God is closer than you can even imagine and realize. And that's the big word, the big idea of imminence. God is imminent. He is close. It's a big deal to believe that God, the creator God of the universe, is knowable. That's a big deal. Like, you can know God. And that he's close enough to to see, to seek after, and to even grasp and to to feel after that's that's a big deal because this god who's imminent is also the other big word is transcendent he's above everything he's creator he's most powerful he's most wise he's most he's he's bigger than we could ever imagine and yet somehow some way god reveals himself to us and and to all people and he's not that far from any of us And so Paul then does something really interesting to further prove and explain this idea that you can seek after God, you can find God. This is who he is. He's not far from any of us. This is is what Paul does next. He says, for in him we live and move and exist. And this is a quote from a Cretan philosopher named Epimenides. So Paul doesn't quote a Bible verse. He's got 
He was a Pharisee, right? He's got the entire Old Testament memorized. He doesn't choose to do that. He quotes one of their cultural references of the day. The people that he's talking to would have known this guy right away. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. For in him we live and move and exist. And this word live in the Greek is the word zao, which is this idea of energy, of movement. And that, if you think about it, is very opposite of what an idol does, a wooden image, a statue, that thing has no energy. It's got no life. It's not going anywhere unless you pick it up and put it somewhere else, right? But in him we move. In God we move. We live and we exist. And again, this isn't a biblical quote at all. This is a quote from a philosopher, an ancient Greek philosopher, Epimenides. But even though This quote, in him we live and move and have our being, is a secular quotation. It is no less biblically accurate, right? Just because it's not printed in the words of the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. Like, truth can be found all over the place. The Bible certainly is true, but the truth God gives to other places, and then you can find it and pull it out from there. And so just look at this, um, these three words, live, move, and exist, Like God is the giver of life and breath. That's Genesis 2, verse 7. When he created the world, God got on his hands and knees and in the mud and put us together and he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Like that life comes from God. Your life, your breath comes from the Lord. Every breath you take, he's the giver of life. And in him we we live, in him we move. Uh, This passage in Isaiah chapter 40, 29 through 31 is one of my most uh, encouraging passages. I encourage you to check it out and read it this week. But it includes this phrase, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And if you fall down, you can get back up and you can soar on wings as eagles. Like there's this power that God gives us to move. And there's the power that God gives us to even exist. That's Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. We are all created by God, and in him all things hold together. Jesus holds all things together. We exist because of this great God. In him we live, in him we move, in him we exist. What Paul is saying as he's quoting this guy is like, we are totally dependent on God. As human beings, we are totally dependent on God for what it means to be a human, for what it means to live, to move, to even exist. We're totally dependent on God. But Paul must have thought, hey, that's not enough. One one quotation of a philosopher that they would have recognized isn't enough. He's like, let me give you another one. And so he quotes another guy. He says, and some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. This, again, is from a Sicilian Stoic philosopher named Aratus. So, again, he doesn't quote the Bible. He doesn't quote any Old Testament scriptures. He quotes this cultural guy that they would have known, this popular guy that they would have known. And this poem, they would have recognized this whole poem. We are his offspring. Basically saying, this guy says that we are God's children. We are God's children. And what Paul is doing is he's helping those people that he's talking to He's connecting with them and their culture to realize their logical inconsistencies. Because what he says next, he says this. He says, 
if this is true, right? If some of your poets have said, we are his offspring, and since this is true, like because you believe this, because this guy has said this, and you recognize this, you hold this up as truth, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Right? This makes total sense, doesn't it? Like if, if we are God's children, then how can we as a human being be a child of a stone image? How can we as a human being who thinks and loves be a child of a God made out of wood that a human being made? That doesn't make any sense. Paul's telling that this is, this is illogical. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but this is what human beings do. We love to make God the way that we want to make him in our own image. We're like, God, you, you have these qualities and these things and these things, but God made us in his image. That's the complete opposite, but this is what Paul is trying to reveal to his audience. Since this is true, Right? We shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. And so notice here what Paul is basing his argument on. Again, he's not basing his argument on the true God, on the Bible. This, uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I would base my arguments on the Bible any day, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't base it on his Old Testament knowledge. He would have memorized the entire Old Testament. He doesn't quote a single Bible verse. And he does this, I think, because he's connecting with the people he's talking to. The people he's talking to have never heard about the Bible. They don't care about the Old Testament. They don't, they don't know anything about this. And so Paul is bringing something out of their culture and using it to explain who the true God really is. And it's sort of like when we look at the stuff in our culture. We can do a similar thing. Like there is truth that God has <clears throat> given to people. They might not be believers. They might actually be of a different religion. But there's truth that's not contained in like a book or truth that's not contained to a person. There's truth is that which corresponds to reality. If it's true, it's just true, no matter where you find it. And so you can find it all over the place. You can find it in movies, you can find it in books. You can find it in music. You can find it in stories and fables and myths that our culture tells each other. And they might not be true. They might not be Christian. They might not be biblical. But it's true because God owns the truth. <laughs> Nobody owns the truth other than God. He is the one that has the truth. And so we could reference some things in our culture to help bridge the gap with the people in our life. And so uh, I, I picked out some movie references for us to look at today. And you could say something like this. You could say, like, God loves you so much that he sent his son, and he, his son, Jesus, sacrificed himself for you so that you could live. And it's sort of like when Anna steps in front of the sword, and the sword was going to kill Elsa but Anna steps in front of that sword and she sacrifices him, herself so that her sister could live. Like that's how God loves you. Jesus sacrificed himself in your place so that you could live. Or you could say, we're like, God loves us so much. So we're like a bunch of toys on a conveyor belt held, heading toward an incinerator. 
and there's nothing that we can do about it. Like the ending to this is really bad. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this claw comes down and scoops us up and brings us to safety. Like we need a savior from heaven to save us. We can't do it ourselves. And if you aren't familiar with these references, that was Frozen. (laughs) And this is Toy Story 3. These popular stories that aren't Christian, they're not biblical, but there's some truth that we can use to bridge the gap with our culture and who God is. This is what Paul is doing. He's like, your own writers and thinkers say you are God's offspring, right? This is, this is, not, this is what they say. This is what your culture says. You're God's offspring. But if your gods are stone and wood and gold, that doesn't make sense. Like, you've got to decide. You've got to figure this out. Like, there is something strange about what you believe, and you have to align these things. You have to figure this out. And so we've got a, we've got a choice to make about this. And maybe they're wondering, like, okay, Paul, you show up now, and you tell us about all this stuff. Why now? And Paul's like, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. Like, yeah, your culture was able to develop and and exist without knowing about Jesus, without knowing about the true God for all these years because, well, God just overlooked people's ignorance. But you know what? Now is the time. Now is the time you have to decide. He says, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul says, now, okay, don't worry about the past, like that'll figure itself out, but now I'm here, now you know the truth, now you've got a choice. Are you going to repent, which just simply means to turn from your old way and turn to Jesus? Are you going to repent, or are you going to be judged? That's the question. That's the question that we all have to answer. And the judge, the one who's going to be doing the judging, that's Jesus. And he proved that he was worthy to be the judge because he raised from the dead. Nobody else could ever do that, right? But he came back from the dead, and he's going to judge the world one day. But there's good news. There's good news for you. There's good news for our friends and our neighbors. Is that they don't, you don't have to be judged. Because Jesus took your judgment for you. He, when he died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin. He took your judgment on himself. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. And he is totally worth your worship. And totally worth you living your life for him because of what he's done for you. And for those of us who believe that, who are Jesus followers, that's the message, the good news of the message we've got to take to the people in our life that need Jesus. And so today, as we wrap up and apply some of these thoughts, I, I thought this was an interesting way to, to do it. But 
many of you, there was a lot of talk about what happened at the Grammys a couple weeks ago. And there was like that one performance, right, that was like the talk of everything. It was like, man, that was messed up. It was really troubling, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. <laughs> but it was popular. And people were talking about it all over the place. And it was troubling. It was rightfully troubling. It was, it was very troubling. But then how do you, that's like put that through the filter of like what we're talking about in Acts chapter 17 here. Paul walked around, he saw all this stuff, and he was deeply troubled by what he saw. So we're going to be deeply troubled by what we see. That's just going to be the way that it is. And so instead of like yelling and screaming about how troubling it was, Paul, when he had an opportunity to speak, he tried to build a bridge and shine the light of truth into that situation. And so maybe, if, you know, you were in that conversation a couple weeks ago, you're like, did you see that? And you're like, oh man, it was crazy, it was bad, and rightfully so. But maybe you could have said, well, did you, did you see what song won song of the year for the Grammys this 2023? Did you know what song won song of the year? It's a song called Just Like That by a lady named Bonnie Riot. And I've never heard of her before. I've never heard of this song before. Maybe you have, but I, I didn't. And I was like, I got to listen to that song. And so like this whole conversation, this whole thing is like, it's like Paul referencing Epimenides or Aratus. It's their philosophers. It's their music. It's their poems. It's their stories. It's their writings. And Paul's like, they said something that is helpful in pointing us to Jesus. And so when we think about a song like just like that, it's like, well, I don't know if she's a Christian or not or claims to be. I'm not sure. But she said something that I think is helpful in pointing us to Jesus. And so if you've never heard the song before, you, you should listen to it. But it's about this woman who had a son, and the son passed away. And evidently, the son was an organ donor, and his heart got put into this other guy. And this other guy wanted to go find the mom of the 25-year-old boy who, who passed away to say thank you and to meet her. And so she, or this guy, goes to this woman's house, and in the song, she says this. She says that this is how she was feeling. She says, they say Jesus brings you peace and grace. Well, he ain't found me yet. And maybe you feel like that, too, in some of the things that you've experienced, some of the things that you're dealing with. Like, they say, they say Jesus does this, but I don't see it. I haven't experienced it. I've been to church. I've read my Bible. I've done this. I've done that. I've got worship music playing, but I don't feel it. I don't sense it yet. So maybe you could identify with that. Well, he ain't found me yet. Well, so this boy, this guy who got her son's heart beating comes to his door and, and knocks on the door and says, hey, I just want to talk with you. And she's like, what? <laughs> what are you doing here? And he's like, I've been looking all over the place for you. And I just want to say thank you because it's your son's heart that saved my life. And it's just thank you. And, and like, you're the mom. You gave birth to your son. So in many ways, like, thank you for saving my life too. It's like a powerful scene, right? And so what she says next is this. She, she lays her head upon his chest. And she felt like she was with her boy again. Like you can 
feel that intimacy of like, I'm, I'm missing my boy, but his heart is right in front of me, keeping this guy alive. And you feel it, thump, 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 thump. You just, right, you feel it. And so she concludes after this little episode. Again, these are lyrics to the song. Well, I've spent so long in darkness, I've never thought the night would end, but somehow grace has found me, and I had to let him in. Like grace is seeking after you. God is seeking after you, and he wants you, he desires you to seek after him, to feel after him. And if you do, you just might find him. And when you find him, God comes to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Like he's in you. God is in you. You can like feel the heart beating in your chest. God is in you. It's an amazing thing to think about, amazing thing to experience. And just like there's a natural connection with a guy whose your son's heart is beating in his chest and keeping him alive, like there's amazing to think about the power of God living, giving life to you, living inside of you. The same God who lives inside of you the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, 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 lives inside of you. And what does that do? That creates this amazing community. Because grace has found us. It's this natural connection. And now we get to take this amazing grace to our world that hasn't found it yet. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your grace that you've created and designed this world with a desire that we would seek after you and find you. And thank you, God, for revealing yourself, not just in your word, which is amazing and powerful, and we need it, God. It's true. But you've also allowed nuggets of truth to be scattered throughout our culture in all these different kinds of places. And I just pray that we would, would see your handiwork all over the place. In works of art and in music and poems and, and things. And, and Lord, may we, as Jesus followers, take that as a bridge to build with somebody who, who might not know you yet. Who might not have found grace yet. Because God, you do bring peace and joy and hope. And Lord, for those that haven't experienced it yet, I just pray that they would, that you would come to them, that you would speak to them, and that they would be so aware of your presence and work in their life. And Lord, help us as Jesus followers to do our part in leading people to you, Jesus. And we ask that you would do this and use us in this way in Jesus' name.